Hello, everyone, and welcome to this very special UVC podcast episode. I'm David, one of the two co-founders of UVC, who you've come to know and hopefully love over the last three years. Yes, three years. It's now more than three years since the first uh, UVC podcast saw the episode saw the light of day. So to all of you listening and in the spirit of the holidays, a heartfelt thank you for supporting us in building UVC as a force to be reckoned in European venture. Today, I am joined by our dear friend, Chris Wade. Chris Wade is one of the co-founders of Isomer Capital and a usual suspect at the UVC podcast. Chris, I'm certain most of our listeners know you already, but for those who haven't had the pleasure of meeting you yet or who are new to venture, would you give us a very brief introduction? Well, first of all, congratulations on three years. It only feels like 30. Um, so that's, that's, <laughs> Thank that's, you. that's wonderful. And being serious for a minute, you have brought a new dynamic to, to venture. You're an important part of the ecosystem. My name is Chris Wade. Um, the very simple story is I started out in big companies building telephone networks around the world, graduated to becoming an entrepreneur in the late 90s in Cambridge, um, and built mobile technology companies and essentially went through what most entrepreneurs go through is that everything that can go right with a company and everything that can go wrong with a company. We were never sued, by the way, so that's the one thing we're, we're yet to have happen to us. And after successfully selling that company, I did a lot of angel investments trying to understand this sort of repeatable pattern of success. I'll let you know when I get there. Um, <laughs> and then um, became a venture capitalist. Um, and then in 2014, met the wonderful Joe Shorge, and we started Isomer Capital. Isomer Capital is about creating more funding and capital for Europe's finest and most brilliant entrepreneurs. And those entrepreneurs can be VCs, or they can be technology companies, business model companies, but they're all uniquely wonderful. Thank you for that, Chris. And I truly hope that you never get sued. But if <laughs> if it comes to that, I'm sure you're well equipped to manage the, <laughs> the intricacies of that. And to, to any listener, uh, we've had Chris a few times on the pod. Feel free to to check it out. Uh, if you love our show, you know what to do. Drop us a review, follow the pod, and subscribe at eu.vc. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. An alliance. This, this is a union of values, of values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, 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 acting. This show is not investment advice, and the hosts of this episode may be invested in the funds and companies featured. Today, as we stand at the end of 2023, let's journey back to a moment not so distant in our memories, and that's December 30th, 2022. Let's all picture a typical winter's day, streets lit up with festive decorations and the world on the cusp of a new year. It was a day marked by significant events that resonated across the globe. The news was abuzz with the passing of Brazilian football legend Pelé, whose skill and charisma had enchanted fans worldwide. In the world of cinema, 
Avatar, The Way of Water, made headlines, reaching a monumental box office milestone. And in the fashion industry, the loss of British icon Vivienne Westwood was being felt deeply as she left behind a legacy of bold, pioneering designs and activism. But also on that very same day, December 30th, 2022, we at EOVC explored various topics that have since shaped our industry in a memorable episode with Chris and other great guests where we looked back at the year and reflected on the state of venture. Chris, in that episode, you talked about the resilience in technology and venture capital, saying, and I quote here, when sentiment is positive, everything in our business becomes possible. I love that quote, by the way. And I think I speak for many when I say that the sentiment became a beacon for many of us as we navigated 2022. In that episode, we also discussed the breakthrough in fusion energy at Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory. You described it, Chris, as a step towards boundless and clean energy. Our conversation then took a bit more solemn turn when we reflected on the impact of the Ukraine war, the human cost, the economic repercussions, and you reminded us, it's a sobering reminder of our interconnected world. I believe it was a moment that grounded us in the reality of our global challenges. Yet, amidst these reflections, we also recognize the emergence of the incredible potential of AI and ChatGPT. And before we start this episode and go over a new review and attempt to wrap up 2023, Chris, I'd love to know, what do you think of when you hear this and reflect on what we said back in 30th December 2022? Well, largely, I believe everything that we said. I mean, in, in, in essence, it was a reflection on a year that passed. So it's a historical statement. What we now know 12 months later is that sentiment has remained with European venture um, and that entrepreneurs have done remarkable jobs keeping their companies alive, building their companies where the markets have changed. VCs have adapted significantly because they understand that they are building something for the future. What essentially venture capital is at its core, is a bet on the future. And so how we think about the future, will there one day be boundless amounts of energy from nuclear fusion? Will we understand the fabric of time and space with, with telescopes like um, the James Webb? Will our medical breakthroughs continue apace? And what we talked about was this fact that entrepreneurship had come into the medical world because they had to. And this age-old statement that mother, mother is, the, uh, is the invention, and I've got that wrong again, I did it wrong last time, is um, necessity is the mother of invention. And that is absolutely critical. Now, many may have lost their jobs during the last 12 months, and... I hope you have all found new jobs. This is a difficult time. I don't want to underestimate the difficulty. But as we'll talk about a little bit later on, what is so interesting is we are now closer to the day where startups are no longer something that is in a hidden econ economic valley of its own. It's fundamental to our society. It's fundamental to the survival of the planet, and it is fundamental to our financial well-being. Startups are becoming our economy. 
So, Chris, I want to come back to this beautiful quote of when sentiment is really positive, everything in our business becomes possible. Uh, with this in mind, and before asking you to reflect on 23, why do you personally believe that this this exercise of going through the past year and reflecting on the sentiment of the market and industry, why do you think it's so important? And why does it and how does that inform you personally on investor behavior, market dynamics, the state of venture? Well, as I as I as I just mentioned. Venture capital is about betting on the future. And sentiment is about a belief system of the future. Uh, that might be a future stock price. It might be a future company. It might be the direction of travel of a certain industry. But if you have a belief system that something good is going to come out of that, then Anything is possible. Um, I recently said that if you find an impossible mission and you're, you're, you would like to invest, but you don't know quite what to do with it, then find a possible founder and then invest. Because this is what the remarkable things that people are doing, and we'll talk about some of them in our notes. This is... There is no industry that is not being affected in a positive way by startups. I mean, the most wonderful thing, which we'll talk about, is, is space. Who on earth thought that new rocket engines would be created by, by, by startups, that removing space debris by going up and synchronizing with stuff that's hurling at hundreds of thousands of miles an hour and grabbing it and taking it to a low, but lower orbit so it burns up would be done by a startup. But they are, and that is the most remarkable thing. And it's why I say, if you have positive sentiment, then anything is possible. So if we are to start with a very macro, macro question here, um, Chris, I won't ask you what's what's your sentiment like because you are a VC and you are kind of by default default optimistic. But what are the main factors that you're seeing today that are kind of affecting your view of the future, your view of 2024? Well, let's let's just say a few things about um, the market, the capital markets. Um, there are many people far more experienced and expert than I to talk about this. But how do we see it? We see the IPO market gradually becoming, becoming open again, but the quality bar is extremely high. We will, unfortunately, go back to 2021 levels, which was the same as 2000 levels. Um, whether that's in 10 years or 20 years, we will find out. But right now, having a sensible set of um, metrics and quality of company doing going to IPO it, it is a good thing. The one thing that I'm quite bullish on is that as we start to see the interest rates starting to turn the corner downwards, yeah. I believe corporates are going to be really ramping up their new products, their new businesses, which just means lots of more M&A for startups um, in our portfolio of VCs. And I'm quite optimistic that that will happen. And there's some reasons for that, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. Yeah, yeah very exciting. 
And so I, I guess it's fair to say that's one of the major highlights from Chris Wayne or 2024, at least one of the main expectations and, and things you're excited about. Anything else you want to you wanna, you wanna mention, Chris, before we deep dive? No, I think I'm good. So I think uh, I want to kick this off by revisiting a powerful statement you made last year again. So when reflecting on the Ukraine conflict, you said, conflict, you said it's a sobering reminder of our interconnected world. And this sentiment, I think, is especially relevant when considering the geopolitical landscape of 2023. Tensions in regions like Ukraine and the Middle East, particularly the Israeli-Palestinian situation, not only shape global politics, but they also actually really influence the VC ecosystem. These conflicts, in my view, underscore the need for a nuanced approach in how VCs operate in their investment strategies and acknowledging the far-reaching implications of geopolitical events. So building on your own observation, how have you seen these geopolitical challenges impact 23? Well, I can't help but reiterate what I said last time. The true human tragedy is those that are no longer with us in all wars around the world. And it is extremely sad that that has happened. That is such a waste of human life. There is no possible explanation for it. Um, and, you know, I've been actually taking a slightly different view um, uh, to think about this. And that is that not all, but some of our startups or, or startups in general rely on some fundamental research being done somewhere. And international scientific cooperation is, 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 is important, and it is something that certainly when I was growing up, you took for granted. Um, if you think about the scientific teams that built the Apollo program um, and, and, and various significant leaps of scientific knowledge and technology, they were very international teams. Now, the good news is pre-COVID is that European countries, the UK, Germany, France, etc., and the US were increasing their uh, international cooperation. One fact I found interesting was that 25% of all scientific papers had an author from more than two countries. However, China, much less so. And Tsinghua University, which is in Beijing, um, had more high citation papers than any other university. So China is, 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 is less engaged than the rest of the world. However, they're really important. And just to underscore why China is so important is that in 2021, 46% of all scientific publications were written in China. So, you know, here we have nearly half of the scientific knowledge of the world being created in a place that actually is a little bit careful about uh, what it might share. Now, this might sound slightly abstract, um, but what some of us talk about is the weaponization of science and technology into regional divides. And this is clearly not a good thing, but, you know, it's not one for the venture community to try and sort of change that, you know, and, and just to bring this to life, you know, some might say that NVIDIA buying ARM would have been a good thing. There are others that did not. But the reason that deal didn't happen was because the US regulatory authorities 
didn't allow it because of geopolitical concerns. Now, there was a very famous BBC journalist um, who wrote each week and broadcast each week um, a thing called Letter from America. His name was Alistair Cook. Um, and for those of you who don't know him, it's worth listening to some of those. They're old now, um, but they were remarkable essays of what happened in the US the previous sort of week. Now, I'm always, uh, I think about him because he said the following. In summation, when he was retiring, when he was 82, as a broadcaster, he said, the net of everything I've reported on is there's slightly more good than bad. And I think that's an interesting thing to keep in perspective when we're talking about sentiment. So, you know, with, with, with that in mind, there is progress in the Korean and Japanese venture ecosystems, which are benefiting from a slight thaw in political dynamic between the countries. Close to my heart is dear old England rejoined um, the 95 billion horizon program. Fantastic news. Uh, we should never, ever have left it. We should have never left Europe. I don't mind making this a political broadcast um, <laughs> just, for, just, just for five sort of seconds. And why is that important? Well, it's important for startups, for funding, for joining sort of projects um, and accelerators. Um, in, in further sort of good news, there is something called the, the Breakthrough Prizes, and there was the 2023 Breakthrough Prizes, which are awarded by the founders of Google and, and Facebook, and they're awarded to Americans, to British people, to French people, to Japanese people. And I end this little, little sort of commentary on the geopolitical side from a perspective of, of science. Then NATO launches in 2023 the NATO Innovation Fund, a $1 billion fund run by very seasoned um, venture capital investors. They're supercharging science, technology, engineering, and mass, and that will be beneficial to many, many startups, um, which may not even know that they have a dual-use technology, and they may choose not to have a dual-use technology, but is another source of capital that will be useful in the European venture ecosystem. So I don't, I don't want to take us to a, a topic that we will discuss in further detail uh, down below, but I cannot help but think, especially within this, this, this concept of weapon, weaponization, science and technology, R&D, or, or the, the how to put it, like ensuring the sovereignty of the regions or of the countries, whatever. I cannot help but think about AI, <laughs> right? And a big part of, as an example, Mistral, which is a very interesting investment case, to say the least. Um, part, part of it from the European investor perspective was also connected to that, like the future of AI being European or having Europe, Europe being part of that uh, and not being kind of just a, a bystander. Um, so what I'm getting at is, is in the spirit of, of, of sentiment and the topic of weaponization of, of science and technology, what are you feeling in terms of sentiment of where Europe is and what the game that Europe's playing? Because you, you mentioned the NATO fund. NATO is, is, goes beyond Europe, right? Uh, what about Europe? Well, 
I mean, Europe has this incredible dynamic of plus 50 tech cities that are developing uh, 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 amazing technologies. And I think Europe, of all the regions around the world, has probably more understanding than any other that there has to be a sense of a global citizen. Now, I say that because Europe startups are all born into relatively small countries compared with the US or China, and therefore need to be international pretty much from day one if they want to build a very significant company. So they have to be thinking about the US and they have to be thinking about Asia um, you know, as, as well and being open to that. You know, uh, my, my dear partner, Joe, uh, I think coined the phrase that venture capital is not a national sport. And that's because we're not building French companies or British companies or German companies. We are building global companies because that's, you know, the thing we have to sort of prove that Europe can do um, in the same way that the U.S. built Google and Apple and Facebook. Etc. Those are not U.S. countries, companies, excuse me. They are, they, they are, they're global. And that's the, the important point here. So let, let me let me ask you a very different question from a different perspective. So you you wrapped up when talking about uh, the NATO fund just now. You wrapped up uh, on the topic of dual use startups and and maybe some startups don't even know they have dual use technology, right? Uh, I find this an interesting topic for many many reasons. One of them being that it's 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 a tough space to invest in. I find as well, even from an, like when it, when a I just have it very clear in my memory, an emerging GP that we know very well who's fundraising. And he's really struggling because there's a lot of LPs that want to kind of, I don't want to touch that, right? That's that's a bit too dangerous for me. So how how are you seeing this trend developing over next year? Well, who knows how it may, may develop. Um, you know, again, necessity being the mother of invention, um, you know, does the situation in Ukraine and other parts of the world get so bad that yeah. we all have to play our role in keeping our countries and citizens safe. Let's hope we we never get to um, um, to that position. But I think you know, in discussions I've had with the NATO Fund, is this is a lot to do with all the technologies to do with communications, to do with cybersecurity, to do with things that are not directly yeah. what you might call lethal technologies, because then you come into a much more complex world because most venture funds, if not all venture funds, have LPAs that say you will not invest in companies that have weapons, etc. So I think we're in context here. We are talking about the digital infrastructure um, that, is a, that is around um, the defense systems that we have. I think I think we shouldn't deep dive on the philosophical conversation <laughs> around that, even though it would be a very interesting conversation to have. Um, if you'll permit me, Chris, I'll take us to our next topic and also a little moment of self-reflection. Maybe I should call it shameless self-promotion. I actually said in, in last year's episode, specific sectors like climate tech and life sciences have shown resilience. They are a testament to the enduring power of deep tech and sustainability. And I really like reading myself there. I think I sound quite wise, which isn't normal. 
But um, in all in all in all seriousness, no, this statement does align very well with what we've been witnessing in the VC landscape. Uh, AI, ML, along with biotechnology, have been leading the charge in attracting investment in emerging technologies. And I, I think we're way beyond the point of just saying it's talk, it's actually a trend. And let's not forget, Chris, as you said, you pointed out in last year's episode, 2022 saw the pharmaceutical industry embrace a bit of risk, resulting in significant advances in healthcare through RNA technology. And this pivot yeah. towards risk-taking has really opened new frontiers, right? So with that in mind, I'd love to ask you, what are your reflections in terms of frontier technologies in European VC? What are you seeing? Yeah, I, I think we should be careful about um, life sciences and risk uh, because we have to qualify that. You know, we're talking of you know several decimal points of fractions of of entrepreneurialism because you because the 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 need is so is so great here. Well, look, I start with uh, nuclear um, fusion. Um, essentially, the Lawrence Livermore um, Lab National Initial Facility have done it again. They did it in July this year. Now, sort of, you know, slightly wondering how long this is going to take when they do one experiment in November 22 and the next one in July uh, 23. But the yield was much greater. What do I mean? It means that for the same amount of input energy, they got more output energy. And just to remind people, why is this so important? This is essentially, a once you have a nuclear fusion reaction operating, as the sun operates, it's the same process as the sun, there is no pollution. There is a magnificent amount of energy when this will happen, who knows? But here's the interesting thing in the connection with venture capital is that as a result of these sentiment-boosting um, experiments uh, in nuclear fusion, an additional $2 billion of investment has been made. And today, there are twice as many nuclear fusion companies as there were when we did this recording last year. And that just says to me that nuclear fusion is becoming a thing, uh, an investable thing, you know. And, and if there's more and more people, and particularly smart entrepreneurs working on this and, and not just governments, then breakthroughs will happen in probably the most unexpected unorthodox way remember how penicillin was invented yeah so that's that's interesting there's been advances in solar panels i read somewhere recently that they've now developed an organic film that can make energy out of out of the light in your house you might ask why on earth would you want to do that well there's all sorts of sort of iot type devices that are monitoring things that require very little energy but it would be would be would be smart to have it and what's interesting about energy is that european startups are contributing to new ways to make nuclear fusion fission excuse me cleaner there are nanotechnologies to generate water um, excuse me, energy from sort of from water. And these these are experiments. These are fast. These have all the hallmarks of 
startups. And therefore, there will be breakthroughs at a pace that is unheard of um, in the last sort of several decades. If I could move on to the subject of space. Um, just before I was born, 150 years ago, there was the, there was the adage that said, go west, young man. Um, today, the adage would be, go up. In 2023, there are 77 countries that have space agencies. Um, the, the space race, which you know, was all about um, uh, Russia and the, the, the U.S., now includes a, a race between India, between China, between the U.S., between the European Space uh, Agency. And that is not a bad thing. I mean, there are all sorts of holes we could fall down here about sort of um, the militarization of um, space, but let's not do that. Let's go back to the good old James Webb telescope, which I was waxing lyrical about, because it's still a remarkable feat. It's a year old. And all the images and all the data it has collected has created 750 scientific publications. It's observing distant galaxies. Remember, it's actually um, observing uh, infrared um, frequencies, which is a, a lot uh, longer wavelength. And therefore, it can see far back into distant time. If you imagine that, that the universe was one ball and it's been expanding for billions of years, if you can look back. But here's the thing. Here's the thing that's really interesting. What they're seeing does not accord with the current theories of how the universe was created. And that is brilliant. And they discovered exoplanets. They weren't the first people to discover exoplanets. Exoplanets are planets that look like Earth and potentially could buy Earth. And there's one just 41 light years away. Um, now, what is 41 light years? Well, it's a lot of frequent fire miles. It's a thousand <laughs> trillion miles. So it's a long old way. And you know, that's another discussion for that perhaps all the startups in the world need to focus on is how do we get to warp speed? Um, but that's my start trekkiness coming back in there. Being serious <laughs> a minute, European startups have just exploded into the space area, not literally, I hasten to add, um, in the sense that they're focused on new rocket engines for low Earth orbits. Um, there are companies thinking about how to clean up space, particularly in the lower orbits where there are decayed uh, satellites, detecting them, um, figuring out how to avoid uh, collisions with them. These are all European sort of startups. The world was pretty amazed, if you take a sort of a, a big view out, that NASA ended up working with a rather large startup called SpaceX. But the European Space Agency is doing the same. And they're doing large contracts with startups to encourage them to build technology to solve some of the problems. So space is becoming really exciting. You know, we have some portfolio VCs that, you know, 20, 30 percent of the companies are related to space. Yeah. And I love I love how you ended that, Chris, with, you know, just double clicking on Europe is 
firmly on the map as a hub for cutting edge, cutting edge technological advancements. And I love that. Um, well, look, maybe... look, look, I just want to say that this isn't the, the xenophobic European here, and that's not bad because <laughs> I'm a Brit. So that's a positive thing. But there's so much talent here. There are so many great universities here. And it is only relatively recently that we've commercially been able to harness that. And that is amazing. And I think I can say it's just the beginning. We're only going to get better. <laughs> but, that's, but, that's the idea. <laughs> maybe maybe a, a small comment I'd like to add here, more as a, my own personal reflection in the process of recording this episode and preparing this episode. I think, you know, we, we spoke about geopolitical, we spoke about the weaponization of, of science and technology. Now we're talking about uh, frontier technologies and we're revisiting something that we spoke with Chris a year ago, uh, specifically the James Webb Telescope. And as Chris said, the images and data collected have allowed to public, to, to, to publish, sorry, 750 publications. So we have no idea what's coming out of that, right? No, no one truly knows. But there is incredible potential there. And I think part of the value to everyone, anyone listening in, hopefully, is kind of also seeing how someone like Chris, who's been around, around for some time, thinks about this. And it's not a matter of making him accountable. That's really not the point. It's just the point of going and seeing, okay, last year we were, this was the sentiment, this is what we're talking about. How has that evolved today? And some interesting data points here, 750 scientific publications. Maybe one of those will help create a startup next year. Who knows? We don't know, right? So I think that's really, really, really exciting. We could not talk about emerging and frontier technologies without talking about AI. <laughs> it's not a trend. It's a foundation for future technologies. Uh, to be honest, it's reshaping how uh, UVC as a company operates, how we think about our own company and I'm not going to dive into that, but it's just one example of how it's impacting uh, everyone, I think. I'll ask you, Chris, share your views on the impact of AI and maybe particularly Gen AI, because that's the, the big one, uh, on businesses and the economy as a whole. You know, I can't help but start at a slight tangent, and that is to say how remarkable the Cambridge-based DeepMind company is. There hardly is a month or two that goes by that they're not announcing something very, very significant. The thing that caught my attention last month was an AI system to predict the structure of millions of new materials. And just to bring that to sort of fruition, uh, it took 15 years to develop the structure of lithium by trial and lithium batteries to try trial and try different things until they got something that was safe or largely safe um, um, and actually was fit for sort of purpose. With this new tool, that potentially could be reduced in months. And that's just one of the many things that DeepMind has created. And that is a national treasure that Europe has that I think is, is really important. There's no question that 2023 was the year of generative AI. Um, and you sort of sit back like an old codger like me and you think, well, there's been supercomputers around. We've had lots of access to data. They're not new. But what is new is the robotic processes, the chat GPT process that make this accessible to everyone and there are really powerful advantages. And 
there are many experts on AI, and I'm not. So I've just picked some three simple ones. The first is making everybody a content generator um, and being able to explore different concepts for the purposes of publishing, for the purposes of just your own knowledge and using it to do research and to do writing. In the little bit I have done, is it is very clear to me that the role of the human editor remains. Um, and that's really important. A, it is not 100% um, accurate. Secondly, is it reflecting you and what you're saying and your personality and what you're saying? And I think that remains an important human feature. The next big area is this whole interaction with customers and whether you're a patient in a hospital, whether you're person trying to get to your bank or you're trying to complain about something with retail, this whole interaction, which um, used to be telephone, sort of morphed into rather annoying sort of uh, chat box that sort of uh, didn't answer your question because it only knew 10 answers to 10 most frequent questions. Enter um, generative AI and suddenly you've got the ability to answer complex and changing technical uh, customer queries and at a fraction of the cost and speed. And I think that's really important. The, the other area that I think is just stunning in, and that is software development. Um, and yes, there's been lots of um, questions about how that could be negative, but the idea of being able to help a developer understand what are you trying to develop? What is the logic of developing in the way that you're proposing and then help actually sort of build it. I'm reminded of the telephone system. I'm reminded of mobile phone systems. I'm reminded of social media, all of which at the time that they were first launched were heralded as great advances by 50% of the population and disastrous intrusion in the humankind by the other. And this just continues. It's that debate that makes us human. It's that debate that is actually going to ensure that we end up in the right space. I was just extremely impressed that the UK government asked a startup entrepreneur, Matt Clifford, who, as you all know, is the co-founder and CEO, or was the CEO of Entrepreneur First, to lead a very significant global conference on this whole subject. Again, this is startups in the front line of our society, in the front line of our thinking and political debate, which is unthinkable uh, 20 years um, uh, ago. Generative AI has significant opportunities for startups. There'll be new business models. Um, but as here's the interesting thing that I've been thinking about is many big corporations are going to start to worry about the competitive effects of their competitors that have these new technologies and their need to acquire at rapid pace these new types of AI technologies will be part of the underpinnings of what I mentioned at the beginning, which is there is going to be an M&A bonanza at some point. Um, and I think that's just the, the good old-fashioned new technology. I haven't got time or the skill to, to 
to build it myself, I will go and buy a startup. And I think that's that's really, really important. Chris, you've hinted to it, and I'd love to get your reflections on it, which is more this, and, and as you said, right, uh, internet, mobile, telephone, there's always those against, there's always there, those for, and there's that, that whole dialogue is, is part of, of us evolving as, as humankind. But I can't help but ask you, um, what are your reflections on the, even the, like the more social economical impacts of something like AI and Gen AI? I think many, many have argued uh, within the space of talent, could it actually exacerbate uh, differences? Could it actually be a tool for inequity? I'd love to hear your, your, your reflections on the pros and cons. I go back to Alistair Cook. There is just more good than there is bad. And I think about this in the same way. Um, there will be all sorts of unfortunate uses of this technology. There will be all sorts of clever, get-rich-quick strategies that will, will that you know, I'm not talking about individuals here. I'm talking about corporations here yeah. that will, will use this. And only time will tell which ones we find acceptable and which ones we don't. And, and it is just that human experiment. Um, this, is the, this is the complexity of politicians and the danger of having politicians legislate on AI because we are trying to legislate for something that we do not know or cannot foresee the implications. So I suppose in one way, the answer is let's, let's batten the hatches down and let's do absolutely nothing. Well, clearly you can't do that because the French have got Mistral and we can't have the French winning. And that, you know, and, and this again comes back to this um, sort of uh, technology is not a national sort of sport, but it, it yeah. does enter into the, in, into the ethos here. So I think we will make mistakes. I think there will be difficulties. There will be lawsuits. There will be all kinds of things that will happen But as with all the previous technologies that were disasters when they started um, or perceived disasters, a sane way will prevail in the end. Couldn't agree more. Um, Chris, you also mentioned something around an M&A bonanza. <laughs> Who doesn't love to hear that if you're an active investor? But um, it's funny because... I actually, when you said that, my mind took me back, and I, I don't have the dates top of mind, and I apologize, but we did we did an episode with you. I think it was the first fireside chat we ever did. We actually jokingly had uh, a fireplace be, behind yeah, us in the, in the yeah. screen. Yeah, uh, and, and I one did of, it from Estonia. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. and one of the things you said is as, as, as a venture investor, as an investor in, in, in venture, you know, you can't time the market. You can't stop. Mm. You can't, you, you know, you can't, you can't just... Think that you're going to outsmart everyone and 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 you know preempt whatever the next thing is, and I found it kind of. Why did I think of that? Because we just came out of a, of a period where that was a topic of conversation, right? Uh, should you should you keep on investing? Shouldn't you keep on investing? Investors coming out of venture, whatever. To now you saying, well, I actually think we're going to see an M and A bonanza, right? Which is kind of that's the liquidity moment that's what what everyone expects and i couldn't help but feel like how interesting is it that with you we've we've covered the both and i think it's been less than a year and a half I, i'm not sure about that i'd love to ask you your your kind of conclusion when i when i frame it like that well look um we've been in this recessionary environment for over two years now and as we've just been discussing technology has radically changed 
And there are companies that have shareholders um, that business models are going to be very significantly disrupted or they want to move into areas that this new technology and I'm, you know, AI is, is, is an important part, but it's not the only part um, that they that they want to get into. So it is on that basis that the only thing preventing that happening today is the uncertainty about when the sort of economic environment. And, you know, remember, even if you're a B2B company, there's a consumer in the end somewhere. Yeah. And so therefore consumer sentiment um, and the ability to to feel that the world is getting better economically, which is absolutely sentiment. It isn't money in the bank or anything like that. It's totally sentiment from an economic drive perspective starts feeling better. So you've got to believe that at some point in the next little while, and I'm avoiding saying anything like months or dates or times, <laughs> um, that actually that sentiment drive in big corporation board meetings will change. And then the world will become a very interesting place for startups, coupled with the fact that the belief, correct or otherwise, but the belief that startups are on sale at the moment. Yes, and let's leave it at that. I love the cliffhanger, Chris. <laughs> no, but but coming back to uh, to our topic of AI, you know, we have to address the open AI drama topic, right? And so, just 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 for context here, um, so Friday, November seventeenth, Sam Altman is fired. Sunday, November nineteenth, uh, uh, new CEO uh, announced. Monday, November twentieth, so one day after. 738 employees sign a letter <laughs> demanding the board's resignation. And I think the rest is, is history and we all know. But it's so interesting how quickly this developed. It's been a huge topic in everyone that's talking about AI and frontier technology. Chris, what's your take? Well, first of all, um, the thing that I was thinking about when this was all going on, isn't it um, truly wonderful that the CTO is a lady? That, it, that should not be a surprise. I foresee it will not be long that no one will even think about that. But I think it is, it is really great. Startups, as I started to say earlier, um, are no longer the preserve of garages and hiding away in alternative economies. They've become mainstream and never was more evident than the coverage of the board dynamic, which is my polite way of describing the event that you've just talked about in OpenAI. I haven't been able to get the facts on this, but I would be prepared to bet, and I'd like to hear from someone if I'm wrong, I'm sure I will, that there was more coverage on a startup called OpenAI than there was in the whole period of Google before it went public in 2004. Um, and that's because... What OpenAI is building is truly revolutionary. And God, is it a God's gift to journalists. You know, you've got mm. the CEO, not CEO, new CEO, original CEO back again. But it does raise the question, whose company is it anyway? You've got the founder. You've got the team. You've got the investors. Now, the 
OpenAI board deliberation, again, if you can call it that, was very public. And that was on purpose. That was driving to influence people um, and decision makers from the, the different perspectives, the board and the company and the CEO from different sides of the equation. But here's the interesting thing. I think this happens a lot. I do not think this is a this is a rare example. And I have seen it happen many times where a founder has built a company, it has probably fallen on some difficult times, and the investors say, we'd like to change you. And some say, thank God, I've just I've had enough, I can't do any more. Others really fight. And then there's a dynamic that is not dissimilar from open AI. But just you know, consider the contests here. The founder, I mean, let's call it what it is, gives birth to the company. The teams that build the company, and remember many teams in the early days do so in sweat equity. So the thing that is being disavowed if they're fired is the very payment they had to build the company. The investors who you know, swan in and, you know, I'm one of them, so I'm a swan, um, who swan in and found the company. And at least from a cap table's perspective, they own it. But they do. Do they really own the company? Um, and then the board, and which supposedly have founders and investors on it, which, although not the case in, in open AI. So it's a very interesting debate, this, whose company is it anyway? And you know, it's interesting. I've spent a lot of my life being a founder, a lot of my life being an investor. I have to tell you, just between you and I, David. Yeah, no one's my, listening, right? <laughs> my kind of vote is with the founder and the team. I got to say, just saying, will you give me a job when I'm fired? <laughs> Chris, I, 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 I'd love to ask your views on two other unrelated topics. Um, just because here we are looking at 23, what's the sentiment like? What's, you know, what, what, are we, what are we excited about as well? And one headline that caught my eye last week, uh, and I think I saw this on Sifted, it was something about Europe being a tech talent magnet. Europe's tech sector, especially in sustainability and healthcare, attracting global talent. And the number they shared was over 50,000 tech jobs were created in these sectors across Europe in 23. We started off by saying it's a tough year. Some of you lost jobs, hopefully you found a job. So here's a, a positive uh, silver lining to that topic. But I'd love to ask you again to reflect on, again, the cyclical nature of our industry, but also what, what does this mean in your view for the next stage of, of Europe and InVenture? Well... Um, I did see that article, and I was very heartened by it because this isn't just people that come to Europe to build companies. These are specialists. These are experts. These are people that will drive innovation, will drive success of companies. When we first started Isoma, I was always amazed and 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 delighted i suppose that so many of the vc firms back in 2020 uh, uh, 2014 
had an American partner. And it was quite clear how the American partner knew what he or she was doing. And they were creating valuable sort of valuable sort of companies. So this is this is heartening news. Um, if you go back to the awful days of Brexit, what was the big concern from 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 founders and entrepreneurs in the UK that that stream of brilliantly valuable talent would get cut off? As it turned out, that has not really been the case. But it's it's just not people. It's actually an amazing talent that comes from all over the world. And thank God they like coming to Europe. <laughs> Europe is beautiful, I wouldn't say. <laughs> we love Europe. Uh, Chris, before we wrap things up, more of a personal question. As we near the uh, end of Europe, any personal reflections or um, how do you call it? Uh, New Year resolutions <laughs> that you want to share that you want to share with our listeners uh, of, of note? Just be more humble. Um, I don't think you can ever be humble enough. Um, um, there will be some reading this say, "Oh, really? Is Chris humble?" <laughs> but I would like. But I would like to be. I'd like to grow my ears more and make my mouth smaller. Because there are so many brilliant, smart people in our industry at v who are VCs and entrepreneurs, and I just want to listen to them more and and hear what they have to say. And that's difficult sometimes because you see people, in your opinion, making mistakes. But then I remind myself, no one told me not to make mistakes, and I learned from those mistakes. So, yeah, just... Just continue to be in awe of the amazing people in our industry. And, you know, I said once at a conference, the hierarchy of capital in, in, um, in, in early stage venture or any venture for that matter is the entrepreneurs on the top of the pyramid, the VCs in the middle and the lowly LP is at the bottom. And that is an important psychological image to keep in mind when we do what we do as a business. I love that. Many in our podcast have said how um, venture is a profession that your ego gets boosted all the time and you need to really keep that in check. And I love that you talk about being humble and that psychological uh, pyramid, keeping that in mind front and center in your day-to-day -day life. Chris, before... I wrap this up. Would you give us a quick summary of 2023's sentiment review by Mr. Chris Wade? Well, on international cooperation, I conclude, as Alistair Cook would have said, slightly more than bad. But the bad is horrible and the bad is very serious. And, you know, we all just have to hope that sanity can prevail in the war zones that are happening in 2024, startups are becoming all pervasive. This is the incredible thing that every frontier of technology and human advancement has a startup at the center of that. And, you know, that's really, really important. Generative AI will change companies in the same way the telephone 
and startups will drive that uh, revolution. And that's startups globally. But just remember, nearly 50% of that is in good old Europe. Chris, thank you for joining us today. It was a pleasure. And I hope you have a great start of 2024 as well. Thank you, David. Tear down this wall. It's more than just an alliance. This, this is a union of values. values. United and determined, we can serve as a model for other regions of the world. The nature of a problem, problem requires a European response. Europe is a story of new beginnings, new, new beginnings. Let's start acting, acting, acting.